Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 347. I did not expect to have three locations and a drive-thru and headsets and 80 employees and... It's awesome. It took on a life of its own. I intended it to be a small donut shop, potentially on Munjoy Hill, that I would maybe run five days a week and make enough money to put my kid through college someday. I thought maybe I'd make a couple hundred donuts. I'd do it by myself. I like working alone. Um, I love creating things with my hands. All of that has changed. I don't make donuts anymore. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Let me tell you about Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps startups and small businesses like restaurants, cafes, and bars outsource or crowdsource custom graphic, logo, and web design from over 550,000 designers from around the world. Check out designcrowd.com slash unstoppable to receive up to $100 off your first design project or simply enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout facebook marketing it's intimidating it's stressful but you don't have to do it alone our friend past guest mentor and industry expert nick fosberg is launching his automated cash flow masterclass this week you'll get five automated facebook marketing systems that attract new customers on a shoestring budget you'll also get all the offers all the promotions, and you'll see step-by-step how to set each of these up in 20 minutes or less. This will be selling for $1,500, but he's giving it to you for free for a limited time only. Head over to www.restaurantsfbsystems.com. That's FB like Foxtrot Bravo. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Lee Kellis. Lee are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh my, that's quite a question. <laughs> I, I, I will say yes, fully, right, full throttle. That is what we like to hear. So the idea for the Holy Donut grew out of a craving. Lee Kellis wanted a donut made with fresh ingredients that she could feel good about eating. Since she couldn't find said donut, what she was looking for, uh, this incredible, healthy, delicious donut, she decided to create it herself. Thus, uh, the Holy Donut was born in 2011. Six years later, Lee has scaled the Holy Donut from an apartment kitchen wholesale shop to a three-location operation with 80 employees, starting out of Portland, right? Was your original? Uh, yeah, I was in Munjoy Hill, um, living with just my daughter, and started it by myself. Yes. Beautiful. Well, so I, I guess I kind of gave the, the listeners like an aerial view of who you are, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with some kind of mantra or su- success quote that kind of resonates with you. A mantra to sum up the past five years um, has been a passion for donuts, a passion for life, a passion for comfort, a passion for flavor, uh, creating something that's a throwback that brings people a little bit of happiness and joy in their day. And that is really the motivation behind this whole operation. You say passion, but what exactly is the passion for you deeper? Like the layer below just donuts and the day to day. Yeah. Well, I love food and I think food is a really important part of life. That some people overlook, I never have, but it's something, you know, every single day of your life, you get that three opportunities to make yourself happy. Awesome. And 
starting your day off right. Not that I eat donuts every morning for sure. I do not. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> donuts can be a very nice part of a well-rounded diet. Yeah. Uh, especially your donuts, man. I had one a couple weeks ago when I was over at uh, not, or Coffee by Design. And, man, I'm getting a dozen today before I leave. That's for sure. <laughs> Good call. Um, so when uh, well, let me ask you this. What is Holy Donut to you today? Like, if you had to describe your business today, like, what is it to you? That's a really interesting question. Um, it has it's a it's a surprise. Yeah, I did not expect to have three locations <laughs> and a drive-through and headsets. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about how it all came together. And eighty employees, and it's awesome. It took on a life of its own. I intended it to be a small donut shop, potentially on Munjoy Hill, mm-hmm. that I would maybe run five days a week and make enough money to put my kid through college yeah. someday. I thought maybe I'd make a couple hundred donuts. I'd do it by myself. I like working alone. Um, I love creating things with my hands. All of that has changed. I don't make donuts <laughs> anymore. So it went from me making donuts, which I really do love doing, the forming, the glazing, the creating, the you know the whole experience of it. Mm-hmm. I really love that. It has definitely evolved. So now it is a business. It yeah. is an operation. Um, and I'm now in the position to just go think what's next yeah. versus actually making donuts. So what would you say your brand is? I think the essence of your brand. It is old school Maine. It is nostalgia. It is grandma donuts. It is a family business. It's quirky. It's wholesome. That sums up what we are. We are we are the anti Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so okay, by let, design. Let's go back in time now. I'm curious to kind of uncover how this all happened. So what were you doing before? I was bartending at Auto Pizza and I was craving donuts. We're talking like seven, eight years ago? Six. Six, okay. And I was craving donuts and I was talking to the owner of Auto Pizza about my love of donuts. And eventually he said, you need to open a donut shop. (laughs) And I said, great idea. Never, I'm, I'm bartending. Where did this love for donuts come from? <laughs> it, it's sort of symbolic. For, for me, it is the ultimate comfort food, the ultimate pleasure food. But yet I had this contradiction in my brain about it that you're not supposed to have them. So it was almost like the forbidden food for me until I started to crave, well, what if there's a healthier version that okay. you can give permission okay. to have the ultimate, <laughs> you know, bad food ish <laughs> indulgence okay but with good ingredients right. so it's not dunkin donuts it's i wanted a wholesome version so i started i created it so that was your mission from the, the beginning to create something that would be delicious and make you feel good but necessarily wouldn't be bad for you something absolutely delicious but doesn't make you feel gross like most of the chain store options okay so um your boss said you've got to go open this donut shop he said, go um, open a donut shop. I said, that's great, but I have no money, no experience, and I was living a, with my daughter, single mom. Yeah. So what do you think your boss saw in you that he would suggest that you should do this? A well, lot of people wouldn't recommend somebody go do that. He uh, was talking from direct experience because okay. he opened his first restaurant with with just an idea and a lot of practice, and he told me about that, that he would make a recipe over and over and over and over in his home kitchen until he perfected it. And then he just kind of gave me that inspiration, Mm. which is anybody can do anything if you have proper dedication and practice, even if you don't have experience or credentials. Yeah. 
and I think too, just starting. Uh, so many people just don't start. They have this vision, or they try to start too big. Uh, they they shoot for that vision out of the gates. But like what you did, what your mentor did, they started small and they fine tuned it over time, and they get that momentum started. Um, and I want to dive further into that. Uh, so, what what happened after your boss said this? Like, what was the first thing you did to get that momentum going, to get that ball going in the right direction? The next morning, I went to Borders Bookstore, which was then Borders at the mall. Okay, and I didn't have a lot of money to spend, so I I grabbed cookbooks and wrote down every donut recipe I could find in borders and I still have the piece of paper with all these random recipes on them and I said if this guy's telling me to open a donut shop and I think he's got a, I think it's the right thing to do and I have no experience I've never made a donut and I've never worked in the back of the house and I'm not a baker okay. I'm going to start practicing what were you doing before uh, being the bartender like did you have experience in the restaurant industry before I've always been in front of the house my okay. entire life since I was okay. 15 so I've been a waitress of experience. bartender and server for 20 years okay got you so I've always been in front of the house. I've done all of that, every possible angle of restaurant work in every restaurant in Portland, literally, <laughs> in San Francisco and Florida. I've, I've lived in those three places. And so back of the house, baking, all that r- business ownership was extremely foreign, but very enticing. Yeah. So was it at this moment when this, this gentleman, what was his name? Uh, Mike. Mike. The owner of Otto. So when Mike said this to you, was this like your aha moment? Was this when you were like, okay, like this is going to be my career. I'm going for it. Totally. It was, an, it was an aha moment. It was Not divine moment. intervention. <laughs> um, so you said the first thing you started to do was research. So let's pick it up from there. Like what were you looking for? Was there anything in particular or were you just consuming information? I just started reading cookbooks and looking at how do you make donuts and looking at recipes. And I wrote them down that day, like I said, went home, had mm-hmm. flour and sugar in my in my cupboards and just started making donuts like it was a mission from God. How many different recipes would you say you went through before you found the right one? Oh, half a dozen. Half a dozen? Uh, yeah, I, I would literally practiced every day for three months. Wow. And how did you know... That when you found this recipe, that this would be the one. Well, he also said use potatoes, hmm. and so eventually I started find. I did find a recipe with potatoes. I made it and I took a bite and I said, "Um, I just found my my golden ticket." So why potatoes? <laughs> he said everything is better with potatoes, and I said, <laughs> "That sounds weird, but you're right, and you're proven. You know your intuition. Mm-hmm. His intuition is great, and his food is great. So I ran with it." Started making potato donuts, fed them to all of my neighbors, everyone I could feed them to. And people said, oh, these are good. These are really good. And I love them. And I, I think I have a pretty good taste for donuts. I said, this is sellable. Yeah. See, I feel like a lot of people, when they do something, um, they're trying something new. They're giving it to friends and family. And the family and friends are like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. How did you know you really had something amazing? And how did you know, how, how did you know they weren't just kind of filling you up with false hope? Because... I tasted them and said, these are amazing. I would eat this. I would buy this. I would sell this. Okay. I'm curious too. um, What about from an operational standpoint, as far as costs and overhead, was it a lot less expensive to have the the potato filler? No. Um, The way that I make all of our stuff here is the most expensive way to do it (laughs) from the get-go. Okay. Because that's how I run my life is like a neurotic dedication to good ingredients. And also when I started, I said I wouldn't sell anything that I would not feed to my seven-year-old daughter. Uh, and I'm very specific, I like the word neurotic, about good ingredients because I hate junk. 
And so that has extrapolated till today. These donuts that you're buying here are the exact same level of quality that I was making from the day one, which is all unbleached stuff, wholesome cage-free eggs, local buttermilk, cane sugar. I want to come back to that because yeah. uh, I think it's really important. But I also want to kind of get the full story. So you, you did the research. You started testing these recipes. You found your recipe. What was the next step for you? What was going through your mind? Yeah, kind of um, learning how to, to make a good donut. And then I took samples to Coffee by Design in my neighborhood. Okay. Why Coffee by Design? Uh, they just seemed like they had a pretty solid flow of customers. And I think I brought her six mm-hmm. and said, I'm making donuts. Would you sell them? And she said, yes, I will. So and she tasted it. We just had so Mary to- Allen on the show too. Yeah. Awesome lady. So about supporting other businesses in her community. Uh, did you know that about her before you approached? Not at all. It was a shot in the dark that I thought, oh, I'll just, they're in my neighborhood. I'll bring them a plate of donuts and see if they'll sell them because who doesn't want coffee and donuts? And nobody was selling donuts in town, which awesome. was the other visible need. Yeah. And I'm just so, man, I'm so pumped up for you because I feel like that, like take this as a lesson to, you don't need a physical shop to test an idea. Test your market. Do Go to farmer's markets. Um, so that's great uh, to start where you can and to scale up over time. Um, is that what you were thinking to start where I can test out the product? Do I have something? Totally. So the market research was a really important part of starting a business in this way, which is with no business plan, no full idea of where it's going. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I knew I wanted to eventually start a donut business, but I had to start as small as possible with no overhead. Where'd you get that knowledge from? Did you read a business book or did no. somebody tell you this? Was it instinctual? <laughs> it was gut instinct. It okay. was kind of like, if I'm going to start a business, I'm a single mom, I have no money and no concept of starting a business. Mm-hmm. I have to start somewhere. What what are some of the benefits of starting small like you did? I had no risk. It was market research with six to 12 donuts a day. Yep. If they didn't sell, I pull the plug. Mm. There was no money investment. There was really no risk. Yeah. And I that was com- very comfortable to me. Absolutely. And it's just a good way to test, like you said, the market like analysis. Like, are these going to sell? And yeah. if, they, if they do, amazing. Great. If they don't, you're not in the hole, especially when you have a daughter and you, know, you have probably other bills too. Um, Okay, so you, you tested this uh, your, your your product, these donuts, with Coffee by Design, uh, and what happened when you started testing them? So they started selling their 12 a day, and I got so excited because I said, oh my gosh, I'm making something with my own hands, and people are buying them. That was the first time day, in my life yeah. to have an experience where you know I'm making a product that I'm really passionate about, really psyched about, and other people were too, even if it was maybe 10 of those, you know, 10 would sell a day. Mm-hmm. What was the feedback from um, Mary Ellen? Um, I didn't interact with her specifically for a while. It was her manager, Marnie, at the first shop on Washington Ave. And she said, yeah, the people are loving them. And they're so excited to have homemade donuts. And that was really the selling point was that there's a homemade, fresh, wholesome donut, which I was psyched about and the customers were too. And that really gained momentum to, for me to bring samples to all of the other Coffee by Design yep. stores. Each one individually made their decision whether or not to sell the product. But that gained a lot of traction and momentum and market research feedback, Mm -hmm. which was so valuable, which I recommend to people all the time, like you said. Did you use any of that information, that data that you're collecting from this market of people? Did Did it change at all or has it been pretty much the same ever since? From day one, it's been a nice a reaffirming enthusiasm for this product from day one. And so as that one dozen a day grew to 40 dozen a week, I was still making four at a time 
in okay. a little fryer. And how did that grow? So take us through that evolution. So then I there. would bring samples to every single coffee shop in Portland and say, eat this. Mm. And the manager would say, I like it. I'll sell it. Bring them tomorrow. And so my orders kept growing and I was still bartending at night and getting up at 5 a.m. to make donuts. And finally I had to choose one of the, uh, one of the other. And I quit my bartending job, which is a huge leap of faith. Okay, yeah. And I have a daughter and need to pay the bills. And I said, I'm going to start making donuts and making like 50 cents a donut and just go for this with everything I have. So what was it like before the leap of faith? Because I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this it right now exhausting. might be <laughs> at that point where they're like, think that they have something um they might feel like they're almost being held back by not being able to give it all they have because they have other liabilities so how did that change for you and where did you find the courage to go all in it's a really good question um i guess it's twofold for one i was proving to be making a little bit of money so I was making enough to continue buying ingredients to make donuts and sell them and somehow, by grace of God, pay my rent. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how the numbers added up. So without getting into the exact numbers, how do we know it's enough? Yeah. Um, I was making enough to just pay the bills. I eventually got up to more than 40 dozen a week and was making you know money on every dozen and paying my bills and keeping the business going. Wow. Um, and then you just took, the, you just leaped off and you said, this I just knew in every cell of my body, this is what I was meant to be doing with my life. It was never, I've had a lot of creative ideas. I still do all the time and they kind of ebb and flow of excitement and then they crash. Mm-hmm. This business idea never crashed. It just really felt right from the first second. I never had a thought of, oh, maybe I shouldn't be making donuts. Maybe yeah. I should get a real job. <laughs> yeah. So it was just this gut thing that you had. A thousand percent. Okay. And, um, after you made this leap, what did your life start looking like then? How did that impact the business? So then other people started to catch on. My dad jumped in. He said, oh, you're making donuts. You're selling them. You've got all these wholesale accounts. You're selling them to most coffee shops in Portland. He said, you can't afford to pay anybody. Mm-hmm. So I will show up at 6 a.m. every single day and deliver your donuts wow. while you make them. That's awesome. So what time has elapsed from testing these donuts in your kitchen to now you have, uh, you're doing 40 dozen, you're full time. What, how much time? About six months, uh, six to nine months. <clears throat> I practiced in my kitchen for about three months, then did a wholesale business. Um, I rented out a small restaurant space to be a official wholesaler for about seven months mm-hmm. and then moved into the Park Ave location retail. So aside from just starting, taking, you know, the, the leap of faith to just get things going, get the bomb going. What things up to this point do you think most impacted your success? What were you doing that really made this work aside from having great products? Um, I was dedicated. And my dad always says this business happened because he'd pull up at 6 a.m. to our restaurant space that we rented every morning. And my car was there every morning mm. in the dark, in the winter, alone, in How many Maine. hours were you working a week, would you say, in the beginning? I would go in and make donuts alone or, you know, for a few hours from 5 a.m. till 8 or 9 and then go home and make dough for the next day. Yeah. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Just how long every day. Would have, how long would you have been willing to do that? So I did that for seven months and then we opened the retail shop. I cranked seven days a week there wow. too for a few years. And that retail shop was after about six months, you said, when you were doing about 40. So then it was about 100 dozen a week up until seven months and then the retail shop opened and we were still making, you know, a few hundred donuts a day. Oh, wow. So 
what tell me about this retail shop um weren't you in a shared space like how do you choose to what things were you taking into consideration during that scaling process of going from in your house to uh, a commercial space yeah there was no scientific answer to that we just went in we we rented out a space on uh, Park Ave, which is the old Taroni's Market. Okay. We gave it a coat of paint. My dad and I renovated it ourselves. There was, it was very shoestring. Nothing fancy. Bought a used fryer, used a lot of the existing equipment that was already there. Okay. And just started making donuts in the exact same way, which is <laughs> hand cut, which we still do now. Everything is from scratch and hand cut, so the, the process remains. Okay. So there was no fancy machinery or secrets um what about the space what was it about the space that appealed to you um the Tronis market was just quirky neighborhood feel mm-hmm. at first i thought oh it's so re- it's kind of remote it's not it's not there's no other shops around there mm-hmm. and it felt a little off but i think it works i think it's a, a fun little neighborhood spot now okay so you started making these donuts um in this retail space what was the next big moment for you like this moment we need to know about in this journey so may 16th we opened 2012 there and then on may 28th you know we had a trickle of customers and it was kicking along and then on may 28th so i think 12 days later um meredith goad wrote a nice little article about a new donut shop on park ave (laughs) and there were no donut shops in portland you know that had sprung up in a while we've had a few that have been around forever and it was really kind of a revolutionary concept apparently in 2012 and making potato donuts from scratch and she wrote an article in the the food section and the line was out the door and i remember being terrified because we were making i'm flipping them by myself and i said (laughs) i I didn't even dare to turn around because the line was out the door and i thought oh my god what now (laughs) yes and one employee at the register okay so we started really small, and when when the line started happening, we just we had so we call it you know panic moments, yeah. tons of them for yeah. years, <laughs> trying to keep up with the demand and the excitement and doing it the way we do it, yeah. which is from scratch by hand. I mean, it's a challenging. So what's the combo. mentality that you had at this point? I feel like uh, that that amount of stress of having all these people coming in, uh, you weren't necessarily even able to keep up with the demand. So how did you talk yourself through that? And was that necessarily even a bad thing? Um, was it good to have started small? And is it because you were small maybe that you think it was successful? Like, uh, Yeah, I think there was some charm and some cachet to that. I regret that we fumbled for so long and we did. We what do you fumbled. mean you fumbled? Ta- dive into how you fumbled. We took a few years to really figure out how to meet demand. It took a f- solid three to four years okay. and that was the help. My brother-in-law jumped in and we looked at operations and procedures and like, how do you make a handmade product from scratch yeah. and keep up and make thousands a day? Yeah. What was and, going through your mind? What were you most worried about? There's just no manual. There's no, you know, when you do everything from scratch by hand, there's no one who just jumps in and says, this is how you do it. You really have to figure it out and just work your butt off to mm. keep up with that demand, which is a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. Um, we finally figured it out. You know, you just continuously hire more, which is another expense, which yep. can be re- intimidating. Yep. And we also had to continuously back up our operations. So now we start the n- evening before okay and we make ten thousand donuts on a saturday so you hired more and you started the production process you expanded upon the time that you have to produce yes so of course now we've got way more labor hours way more hands 
you know, we've got 14 people working overnight between our three shops to make this product, which is a little scary when the payroll is coming around. So what's the first step? If you're the person in the business who's doing everything, who's doing all the, who's, who's, you know, you literally, the the business is you. How do you duplicate yourself and how do you prioritize Mm -hmm. what sections of the business you duplicate first? There is, there's no easy answer. Delegating and letting go are two of the hardest things in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all feel that we can do it. We can do it better. Yeah. But it's a huge lesson to let go and let other people help because we all are are skilled. Mm -hmm. And even though it was my baby and my product, and I really wanted to put out a product that I felt good about, you just, you can't, it's unsustainable Mm. to do it alone. You have to delegate and just give it up. So, how do you prioritize what gets delegated first? What did you do? Well, I hated getting up at 4 30 and 5 in the morning, (laughs) still do. Hated every single solitary time. And so the first thing I did was, you know, hire a couple of people who were able to do those early mornings and take some of the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Because as a business owner, you have to be there all mm-hmm. day. And then you go home and you work all night. So you can't really be there at 435. So you do, I guess the answer would be some of the hardest things that you, you, you like the least, someone else might love. Mm. So okay. you want to find those people because everybody loves different things. So what about when you're just taking these new people on, you had to train them, right? So how? what's your advice on getting these people up to speed, getting them to where you are, um, and getting them to the point where you're comfortable being able to actually sleep in, knowing that the, the shop's in good hands? Yeah, and that takes a while too. And sometimes they don't do it the way you want them to. There's, there's that letting go. Mm-hmm. You train them as best you can and... Let go, let go, let go. And if they don't do it the way you want them to, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, if the product is ultimately okay, it, but it, you, they got there in a different way, that's okay. That's okay. Has there been an example, like an instance where, that you can think of where somebody decided to break from the way you taught them how Absolutely. to do it? Absolutely. That's Take happened many times. <laughs> Without gory details, we've had a, we've had a lot of different people come through here and with a lot of different ex- perspectives. Yeah. And it's like, it's hurting cats Yeah, to try to keep people, you know, we're finally getting around to some serious operational manuals okay. after five years, <laughs> which is going to help me sleep better at night because yep. we still have the issue where we have three different shops with, with staffs overnight doing things in ways that I don't see. Mm. I can't see. So, that's kind of my worst nightmare is is trying to make sure everybody's doing things in the same way, mm-hmm. which is how places become like Applebee's. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever experienced uh, the instance where somebody did something differently, but it actually served the team better? Absolutely. And that's okay. definitely a case. I'm trying to think of an example, but we've had <laughs> lots of input and we are definitely open to input and we want everyone to feel a sense of, authority in a way that's for the you know our mission statement is on our walls here if it's for the good of the company we welcome it Mm. we want people to think that way we are a family business we Mm -hmm. are not a chain we welcome collaboration and input of course but full-on deviation from the processes are also very scary got you (laughs) so let's let's get back to your your scaling now at this point you hired a few people you get to not wake up at four o'clock every morning now um what was the next step after that Um, it was very, it, there, there was no real linear path. 
this business has been an example of figure it out as you go, figure yeah. it out as you go, figure it as you go. Um, we went from me to my dad to one employee. Next thing I remember, we had 26 employees. <laughs> and that was within like, because within the first year, you opened your first location, the first retail spot. After a year from that point, you had your second then location. Then we opened Exchange a year and a half from that. So it just has been a kind of exponential growth, which is not normal or typical yeah. or really um, memorable. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fast and furious. So for a while, you were just operating at two locations. What was that? First, what was that transition reflecting back? Was there any time during that second location, any real challenges or struggles that stick out to you specifically? Oh, yeah. The second location brought a lot of financial stress. Okay, like what? That's an expensive location. We bought all new equipment. Um, we bought equipment that we probably could have rented. Okay. We just made mistakes. Get into details. Hindsight being twenty twenty. If you could do something differently based off your experience, what was that thing that you did and what would you have done differently about it? Um, we probably, yeah, like with the equipment thing, you know, we didn't know better. We just bought a whole bunch of new equipment. So that okay. was lots of debt yeah. and liability right away, which we could have maybe spread over time yeah. and not had such a, a deep, I think maybe most people when they go from one to two locations make enormous mistakes and spend way more money than they need to. So you took on way too much too soon early on, but you survived. Um, but what you're saying is you would have maybe prioritized what you need right now. What's the most important piece of equipment we get right now. And maybe um, rented it. And maybe rented it until you could maybe rent to buy or something or, or. Yeah. I think we should have explored some more options. We just didn't know better. Mm. And there are several examples of just not knowing better. Okay. Is that maybe, um, so it took you from 2013 to 2016 to open your third location. Was most of that three years trying to recover from the big investment or what? what no, three that years? three years for me was a real serious intentional pause um, where people kept saying, open a third, open a third, open a fourth, open a fifth. And I just said, I, we really need to, we have so much to learn. So the mm. second location was a huge opportunity to really reflect on what is this business? What is the potential? Who are we? How do we do this? And I really just kept saying to everybody, I'm learning, I'm learning, mm. I'm learning. No more growth, no more expansion. I. What were you learning? Um, again, what is this business? What's the potential? How do we do it? How do you make 6,000 donuts at that point on a Saturday? Mm -hmm. And actually, we we still fumbled and struggled to keep up with demand that entire time. Mm -hmm. What would you say could have potentially happened if you did decide just to grow and go too fast? Yep. I felt very strongly and instinctually, despite a lot of people really saying, you need to open a third location, I just felt... It's not time. It's not right. I can't. I'm trying to think of a metaphor or a yeah. way like planting a tree at the in the wrong season. It's just. Yeah. It's not. The conditions are not right. There's specifically aside from not necessarily knowing your vision or having um, the know how to to take it to that level, which sounds like it was part of it. What else was going through your mind that kind of told you the time's not right? Was it a people thing or? I felt really nervous about the soul of the business. I felt like, is this business meant to be a small mom and pop shop or is this business meant to be more of a presence in the food scene in Portland? Mm. And 
This sounds very metaphysical and abstract, but at one point I said, I keep thinking this is supposed to be the really small mom and pop shop, but what does the business want to be? Mm. So I asked the business, what do you need? What do you, what do you want to be? What do you mean? Who are and you talking to? I was talking to the, to the energy of the business. Okay. And I said, and the business, I got the feeling that the business was meant to be a little bigger. Yeah. That the more we, the more presence we have, the more good we can do in the community, community, the more joy we can bring to people, the more experience we can bring to people. And the Holy Donut was born to be an experience for people. <laughs> we got a backup singer. I don't know if you guys can hear. <laughs> you know, there is... I don't think she knew. <laughs> the, the business is meant to be bringing joy to people. And yeah. so to keep it at two, I felt like it needed, a, it just needed to grow a little. So why can't you bring joy to people with a bunch of locations? Then, there, in a year, talk. we'll talk then. Right now, I feel like it's where it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people I talk to, a lot of the books I've read on this topic of to grow or not to grow, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people who have really incredible businesses recognize that it's not necessarily the size or the scale of their business that's incredible. It's the impact that they have on the people their business touches, on the community exactly. their business touches. So in your opinion, what is... Um, what is like growth, the right kind of growth you were looking at at this point? Were you looking for business, like like operational growth to do things better, to do things more systematized? Like, is that what you were looking for? Or just to have that, that more of an impact on the, your, your community? Like exactly what is soul to you? You use the word soul. I felt like this location in Scarborough was an important, th- an important addition. I feel like we could do it and still keep the soul of the business and have a really awesome visibility, which we have here on Route 1. Mm-hmm. I was nervous that it being a Tim Hortons, that it would really feel like a soulless place on the highway, which is not the Holy Donut. Yeah. But I said, okay, this is a cool challenge. Mm-hmm. We'll take this building and we're going to make it feel like a family business and we're going to bring the soul of it to this stretch of highway. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is exactly what this highway needs. Mm. And that felt right. Like yeah. maybe this this stretch needs this little dose of local business and homemade product and friendly people and music. Mm. Because that was so exciting to me that we could infuse the spot that needed something yeah. with what we have to offer. I love it. So in this period from, like, say, 2013, you opened your second location to 2016. What things happened? What big things, in your opinion, had the biggest impact on your success today that you... You know, the, the big moments in that period. It's about the people. So my brother-in-law jumped in around that time of the exchange location opening up in 2013, and he brought sanity, systems, people training, people cultivation. He fired a lot of people. Okay. He hired the right people. Okay. He really helped me change my mind about what is a business structure that works and is sustainable, which I didn't have. I didn't bring that. I mm. brought donut flavors, donut know-how, and branding. Okay. And so he brought the type A stuff. I brought, he brought the right brain stuff. I brought the left brain okay. stuff. Let's go back to, uh, this was your brother, you said? or My sister's husband, your my sister's, brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law. So he quit his job. Okay. Joined in with us. What was us. his job before? He's always been in marketing. Okay. And um, business development. Nothing related to food. So he just, he jumped on board, said, I know nothing about the food business. Yep. And he just brought... And that's my niece, his daughter. Hi. Uh, um, <laughs> so 
the big thing I think that we can pull from this is you're going to get to a point where um, unless you're Superwoman or Superman, you can't do it all. You need to know your lane, stay in your lane, and bring on people who are strong where you're weak. That's and that the was point. a big moment for you. Huge, and that's what I. The biggest advice that I say to people is ask for help, mm-hmm. allow help, mm-hmm. do what you love, and don't do what you hate, mm-hmm. because someone else is going to do it better. Mm. And for real sustainability of a business, you have to have the web of people mm-hmm. um, and everybody brings their own strengths mm. and that's how growth and success happens okay. single people think they want to do it all alone but it just doesn't work that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you brought him on things are you know becoming systematized he's getting rid of the bad people putting more good people in really developing a culture uh, what was the next big moment in your evolution um, I guess, you know, his w- letting him teach us what he knows, he, he really cultivated a lot of our managers. What does he know? Um, he's really good with people and letting people develop their own strengths and uh, run with their own strengths. Um, it's hard to it's hard to summarize. He he's just uh, a really hardworking dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. Um, something I think a lot of people need to consider when they are thinking of bringing on a partner is how am I going to make this uh, appealing to the partner? How how do I make it feel like this person isn't working for me and now I'm giving them all this responsibility, but they're a part of the team and they have skin in the game? Like, how do you create that? sense of value where it's more than just a job for them, but it's their thing too. That's one of the unusual aspects of this business is all of the family presence, Mm. which most people don't have that blessing to have all of your family members quit their jobs and join in to help because that gives you the level of loyalty, commitment, skin in the game, dedication. So I got really lucky to have uh, my dad, my brother-in-law, my sister, my mom, Wow. And everybody just jump on board to help grow this thing. Yeah. That was clearly my passion and it was working. Mm-hmm. So they all saw a wonderful opportunity. And then that collectively, the five of us have just <laughs> blossomed. So what do you. So what? I can't really give advice to <laughs> yeah. others because most people don't have their immediate family yeah, to that's all. Beautiful. And I'm curious because so many people say, don't get into business with family and I don't necessarily I mean I grew up in a family business um, I don't I don't sign up for that like, I don't I don't what's the word I don't um, necessarily believe in that statement that's not the word that's coming that I'm trying to think of but anyway um, what is yes thank you yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't subscribe to that but what do you have to say to those people who necess- who do subscribe to that and think that you shouldn't get into Well, chances are they're not going to have the opportunity anyway. So what you need to do is find people who you either trust or let me back up. I wouldn't hire friends. I would say they're family (laughs) or strangers and make it a business relationship. Mm -hmm. It is tricky with family. My family does it pretty well because Mm -hmm. we communicate and we all stay very calm and we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. So we're really lucky. If it weren't my family, this business probably would not, it, it would not be here. So what's special about your family? Um, I, my, my, my family are really good people. Mm. They're just solid, salt of the earth, hardworking, honest people. And we 
all you know them better than anybody else. Totally. Yep. Like if I disappeared for a year, they would keep this running as if, you know, we all are on board. Trust. This is it. This is what we're doing. Beautiful. So for people who don't have that family support, again, you might have to take a chance on a stranger, but find somebody who, again, has the strengths that you don't have or don't want mm-hmm. and find someone you trust and and work on a partnership to cover the bases in a business. Um, it can work. Yeah. And it's tough, too, because not everybody who's right, who you're necessarily looking for, doesn't necessarily want to sign up for it. Um, so it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through creating. So what, do you, what would you say the key is to attracting onto yourself great people? That's a really good question. I feel like we're at a point now in this business, so I can answer it with this experience, that we have awesome people and we our mission statement is clear. Um, the, the intent of the business is mm-hmm. clear. The customers give us feedback to say, you know, we love this experience here. People are friendly. And we're just are kind of been attracting really nice people. Right now, we just have a solid crew of good people who I trust and it's not always been this way so you're almost at a year at your third location now is that safe to say three months three months okay very new well congratulations Mm -hmm, that's awesome um so you're saying at third location the biggest challenge is to expand upon that foundation you already have but to do it in a way that's no more diluted or without losing that essence that soul And you're saying the best way to do that is to make your intent clear. Make your intent clear. Treat people well. We offer paid time off for people who help others in the community, Mm -hmm. not just volunteer work, but really human to human helping. And we pay them hour for hour time off in return for doing that. And there in that, I believe, attracts good hearted people. Mm. So we put that out there. That's who we are as a company. We are in the happy business. We're here to make people happy for five minutes in the morning. Coffee, donuts, music, and kind service. Like that's our mission. So your intent is to spread happiness. hundred percent. Okay. That is the intent of the business. That's why it started. And finally, I feel like we're at a point where the people who come in here to work every day are on board with that. How do you enforce that? How do you (laughs) make sure that every day you show up, Everyone there is is living to serve this vis- this mission. This, this it's purpose not easy of being happy spreaders. <laughs> yep, it's not easy. Happy but spreaders. It does build on itself. For example, if you sit in this building and watch people, they interact nicely with each other. Mm. The employees like each other. They have fun here. The people come through the drive through. They're super nice to them. We we recognize it. Customers tell me on Facebook, "Oh, people are so nice." We tell them it's just like it's a building of energy. Mm-hmm. We reinforce that that's what we're here for. Mm. If we've improved somebody's day by them getting coffee and donuts, we've done our job. We're not. It's not just food. They can go to Hannaford mm. and grab a loaf of bread. It's not about food. <laughs> it's about the experience and what are you getting from from coming here? Because it's not just to keep you alive with calories. Mm. It's the whole experience. So, what are you doing, Lee? The, the founder of this business to make sure that every day we show up with that same intent, that that intent is known and that we're executing on that intent. Um, that volunteer time off thing was a really big part of it. So I worked a lot to get that program going where our employees mm-hmm. can go help others in the community mm-hmm. and get rewarded for it. Awesome. The point being Life is more about just punching the clock. Mm-hmm. You want to have a more holistic, balanced approach to your... So you're encouraging your people to get outside 
of the business to actually deliver on that intent to spread happiness by volunteering on their own time. On their own time. And then we log it and they, we, they re- we record it and then we give them paid hours off that they can either take a day off or f- and be paid or we write them a check. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. And I just look at the time. I know we got to wrap it up because Lee um, is, she got a next meeting to go to. Uh, but, oh, man. Real quick before we don't, this is going to be a super fast speed round. Um, <laughs> what was one time you failed? Uh, we tried to get a failure before we go take our break. So was there a time you fell hard on your ass with <laughs> the failure? Uh, and just real quick, uh, say the failure and what you learned from that experience. Oh, Lord. I think my lack of, of follow through sometimes is really challenging. I get really super psyched about ideas. I mean, I just crank through creative mm-hmm. ideas all day, every day. And then I get excited. I tell everyone and then... I, I lose steam. Okay. So what have you learned from that habit that you have? <laughs> that I have learned to chill out mm. and really think through what I'm saying yes to, what I'm saying no to, what I really want to be doing with my time and mm. what at this ro- in this role now, what's the best use of my yeah. time? I love the saying, uh, everything you say yes to is something you also have to say no to. So how do you prioritize what, is most important and what you say yes to like was there a filter you put it through yep i'm just reading a book actually called oh, yeah. the power of the positive no okay and that <laughs> has changed my life and uh it's about you know really understanding what your core yes is and what your core no is and most of the time if you really listen to your your inner dialogue and your heart y- the yeses are very few and far between and i've learned for myself that when i say yes i want to be able to follow through and and show up fully mm-hmm because I used to say yes to everything at the beginning of this business because mm-hmm. you want to pe- please everybody. Yeah. And the more you say yes, the more opportunities for disappointment yeah. come in and the more resentfulness can happen because you don't really want to do those yeah. things. And then you're <laughs> obligated and you. you don't want to do it. I get it. So so you- no is a very positive thing to say because it means you're being true to yourself yeah. and you're you're being honest with somebody. Beautiful. Um We're going to go to the speed round. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. As you know, I don't promote or recommend any products or services my guests haven't first recommended or that I haven't used myself. Well, when I needed a new logo for Restaurant Unstoppable, I chose Design Crowd. I got to admit, it was a great experience, too. Here's what I did. I visited designcrowd.com, where I posted a brief description of what I was looking for in my logo. Design Crowd then invited over 550 designers to get to work on my project. A few hours after submitting my project, I began to receive a flood of designs from around the world, about 90 designs to choose from altogether. All it took was a small investment of $400. Not only was the experience inexpensive and easy, the designers were willing and ready to make the slightest adjustments at my request. To get up to $100 off your first project, head over to designcrowd.com slash Unstoppable or enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout. Facebook marketing, it's scary and intimidating, but it's also by far the most profitable paid media platform available to attract new and retain paying customers. It's only scary and intimidating because it's foreign to you, and that's scary. What you don't know, you don't understand, that's scary. Our good friend, past guest mentor, and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, can help you figure it out and make it less scary. He's giving Restaurant Unstoppable listeners 
his automated cash flow masterclass, which is valued at $1,500 away for free. When Nick told me this, I thought he was up to something that seemed like way too good of a deal. But he went on and he explained to me that this is a new product. He's got to test it out. So you're the test driver. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you're getting this sucker for free. So go to www.restaurantfbsystems.com. The masterclass starts next week. Don't delay. That's www.restaurantfb, like Foxtrot Bravo, systems.com. Or check out the banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Lee, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? It is my dedication to this product, this concept, this business, and this mission, which is happiness, food, pleasure, taste, flavor. I'm all about it. Mm, Dedication, and it sounds like clarity on what you exist for, what purposes you exist for, and dedicating yourself to those purposes. Uh, we're going to add on to that? No? Okay. Only if you tell me to. <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? Um, scatteredness. I'm the opposite of a type A. I am a, a very typical creative person who just wants to yeah, jump around and create things and that. not buckle down. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Which is hard to run a business that way, so but it's working. How sort did you of. overcome that? Is it Was that... Overcome it by having other people do mm-hmm. those things. I do not go into our office. Mm-hmm. We've got office people running QuickBooks <laughs> and HR and scheduling and all that stuff, and they rock it. You just stay and away. I stay, stay away. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. That's it. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Stay positive. Give people compliments. Remember their names. That's what I do. I try. Okay. And when you're trying to find these new people, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I don't interview anymore. When you did? (laughs) Um, That they'll show up. (laughs) (laughs) That was always my main requirement back in the day, but now we have, I think, more of a stringent process. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but now our managers are much more fine-tuned in their hiring process, and they do find wonderful people who I believe can be on board with the mission, get it, and will execute it. (laughs) What is a current challenge today? Um, always product volume, always, 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 always. Do we have 50 dozen left over at the day, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, or are we 50 dozen short? So that's been, we call it our crystal ball, mm-hmm. making fresh product. This is not a normal business where you mm-hmm. can say we, we have scales of, you know, seven to 10,000 donuts a day yep. and figuring out that perfect number and knowing what the flow of customers is going to be. Yep. Very challenging. So how are you, um, are you tracking that data to look? We for track trends, every minute. Mm. Yep. Okay. And so it's what's the not big infallible. There? What's that? What's the big lesson here? Like, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is that we started um, doing more of a uh, all day long process, which is challenging. But we we cook mostly throughout the day to keep up with demand, versus making a huge amount in the morning and winging Got it. <laughs> so aside from donuts, what do you do really well that separates you from others? We would like to think that we treat people well and we're friendly. That's really the secondary goal here is to give people a positive experience. Beautiful. And um, what's one book? You already mentioned one book. Uh, but is there another book or do you want to dive in deep into deeper uh, about what this book? It was, um, I can't remember the title yep, of the book. I can tell you a few. Go for it. The Power of the Positive. No, I just, just yep. finished. Um, the other most life-changing book that probably even tops that is The E-Myth. Mm. Changed my 
life. Mm-hmm. I read it with bug eyes going, oh my God, oh <laughs> my God, oh my God. Have you read it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Three, I rec- three times now. Michael yep. Gerber? Yep. Life changing. I oh, need yeah. to read it again. What was the biggest thing that this book did for you? How did it open <sighs> your eyes? What was your like mind blowing moment in this book? That your life is meant to be served by your business. You're, you are not meant to serve your business to the point of exhaustion or resentment, yeah. which really was fundamentally life-changing that I was not need, need to hate my business because it drained me. It yep. was meant, I created it to serve me and <laughs> others. It was like radical. Yeah. Uh, that's, it is a powerful book. And it's one I of still don't get it. <laughs> you, you need to read this book if you haven't the already. E-myth. Um, and it's on audio too. You can go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get that book for free. If you haven't already signed up for Audible, um, it changes audiobooks change my life. And I'm not I sure love Audible. I've been, if that other book was is on audio That's or how I'm listening to Audible. Oh, the Power okay. of the Positive No is on Audible. I listen to it when I walk. But I can't say enough about the E-myth. Yeah. I it, mean, it takes a lifetime to really get that to let your business bless you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It must read. I love that book. We could talk all day about it, but we have a few more questions and you have a little time left. So, uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted mm-hmm. in your business? Like what, how are you using technology in your business? What tools are you leveraging? Oh, so many at this point, the best is our mood music system. Mood music. We used to just system. kind of like play an iPod yeah. or play whatever, or play the radio. Yeah. And then we have a system where we can program everything based on like the vibe I want to put out and which hour. Okay. So all of our music is systematic. So in the morning, we want to play Ray Charles. Okay. At night, in the afternoon, we want to play Lady Gaga or whatever. But it's all system. Is there a platform you're doing this on? A tool specifically you're using? It's called Mood Music. Mood, mood Music. Mood, M-O-O-D. And it's a company that provides the whole system so yep. that we just program it based on what, what vibe we want to put out at what hour. All right. And what platform, uh, like technology, uh, like what are you running your business on? Uh, you said you mentioned QuickBooks earlier. What about POS? Is there a certain? We POS? use the Toast system, okay. which we love. Why do you love Toast? I can't answer that because I don't deal with that stuff. <laughs> I just know the name of it. <laughs> They're actually the reason why you're on my radar because I put something out there and they responded saying, you got to get these folks on the show. Oh, uh, So I toast? wanted to make sure I gave an opportunity to uh, give uh, a um, Great company. Uh, one of the best out there right now. It's sure. working for us. Awesome. And uh, what is uh, one piece of knowledge, if you go back in time to 2011 <laughs> and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Ask for help. Chill out, which I'm still not good at. <laughs> Horrible at it. I This business is very personal, and I still get very nervous that all the customers are just going to dry up one day. Have faith. I think that would be my number one, and that's another one we all work at, but I'm working at, is to have faith that this is really meant to be, which I know it is in my gut, but to allow it to be what it needs to be and to chill out a little. Mm. Which is hard and, with a local, with a, per, oh, a yeah. family business. Absolutely. And is there a question I could have asked you uh, that would have provided more value or something you want to talk about that you didn't get to talk about in our time together? We covered a lot. Um, I don't think you specifically asked what's next unless I did answer that earlier by saying that we're, we're where we need to be right now and there is no what's next yet. Okay. Um, but people do ask that a lot. So when you say we're where we need to be, what it where are you well this is the this is this is where i want the business to be is to be a still a portland-ish local experience so when people come to maine they get to try us but we're not going to ship to you Mm. 
We probably won't be in Boston, New York. Not yet. I'm not sure. But I love that we are a very specific Maine, Portland experience because, you know, when you go to other towns and they have a place that is known for that town, mm-hmm. I think that has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. It's got a, it's a selling point. You can Absolutely. only get it there. Yeah. And we don't have that in this world very much anymore mm-hmm. because like everything it. just gets so expanded and then and, and diluted. Uh, I got I to gotta recommend a book for you, uh, Small Giants. You'll love it by Bo Burlingham. It's like okay. right up your alley. But, Perfect. Uh, we got to keep things moving. Um, I wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and think would be a great guest mentor like you've been for us today? Um, this is a little cliche, but something I heard about Dana Street, Street & Company for Street Scales. Yeah. He, well, I guess there's two people. He said, I think I heard through the grapevine that he doesn't really use social media. Was it Dana Street? Dana Street. And I, I want to verify this fact, but I really respect it because they're so slammed busy and they're so word of mouth. I'd never see them in print ads and they don't use social media. Yeah. Which is so cool to me <laughs> because the rest of us feel yeah. so pressured by that to always get it right. Mm. The social media thing is so abstract. I think one of my stressful. favorite quotes, which comes from Jeffrey Summer, which is your best social platform is your dining room floor. Mm. And if you take that time and energy to connect with people in life, in person, um, like you said, word of mouth marketing is king. Uh, social media can be important to keep people up to date, but it's not as important as taking that time and energy and actually impacting the people that are right in front of you. Yep. Totally. Um, I love that. I'm one of the few, probably, I wouldn't call myself a consultant, but one of the few people who are willing to say, I'm not completely 100% sold on social media. There's pros and cons to it. If done right, if done wrong, social media can hurt you. So Mm, I don't know. Um, I love that quote. I'm going to put that, I'm going to write that because (laughs) that's it. Like human, human nature Mm -hmm. can be more powerful or human experience Mm -hmm. can be more powerful than Instagram. I know you got to go, but just before I let you go, um, how can we connect? If we want to come join your team, if we want to come get mentored by you as a team member or just come check out your amazing donuts, what's the best way to connect? I love to talk to people. If you go to our Facebook page, The Holy Donut, and send a message, I am the only person who reads those. And she will respond. I respond immediately. that's how I connected. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I love talking to anybody. I really do. And I, I'm, it's... I've got plenty of time. This is episode 240. I always do that. Like I forget that I'm in the 300s. This is episode 347. Uh, wow. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 347. I'll link back to uh, the conversation, everything we discussed, including the links to the tools that were recommended, the books that were recommended, all there at 347. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge with us, to share your journey with us, to uh, share your advice and what you've learned with us. Uh, thank you for being somebody who chooses to be impactful instead of big and to really make a difference in their community and to, to take their time to do it right and to be an example of that. There is no questioning. Mm-hmm. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. Nice thank to you. meet you. You as well. Cheers. Yes, that was an awesome interview with Lee Kellis. Some great things to point out in this episode, guys. Uh, Scaling, starting small, starting where you can, test your market, see if you have something that sticks, and then just slowly start 
building up momentum. Get that ball going. Start pushing it forward. Over time, you'll pick up speed. You'll pick up mass like a snowball. You'll get more people helping you push that sucker until it's unstoppable. Uh, but when you're small, uh, you have very little overhead. You can adapt and pivot much easier. And you can you know, just make sure you're protecting yourself. What if she didn't test the market? What if she went to banks and she got money from friends and family? She opened this place up and nobody loved her donuts. Luckily, that wasn't the case. But what if uh, we can learn so much, collect so much data, so much information by just listening and being small and growing slowly over time? And I think that was another lesson. She grew slowly. She she uh could have went to a third location right away after opening her second location, but she chose to take three years, three years to really find her identity, find Holy Donuts identity, who they are, what they were all about and what their purpose was. And then when she found that purpose, when she had that clarity on their, their intent, she, she shared that intent and she really started imprinting her values, uh, the company values on everyone that was a part of the team at that time. And that's when, um, you know, you really have to start putting extra emphasis on who are we, what are, what's our mission? What are we all about? When you start to grow to the point where, uh, the culture can start to get diluted, uh, you can't have a strong enough culture and she gets that in a great lesson there and just choosing not to grow, um, at the expense of losing their soul and their mojo. I loved it. And the last big lesson for me, guys, uh, and I'm sure you picked up on it too, was having that clear, uh, I guess, just understanding of what your lane is, where you belong, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. When you first start and you're small, you're going to have to wear a lot of hats, if not all the hats. But as you grow, as you can start attracting new people onto yourself, start delegating um, the areas where you're weak to to people who are str- you know strong at those things or are good at those things. And that's one thing she recognized as soon as she could uh, hand over the responsibility of hiring and culture and systems and processes to a more uh, hands-on, uh, manager-orientated mind. She did, and it served her company well. So. Where are you wearing hats right now? What hats can you give up to somebody on your team who might be better at that thing than you are? Like, give it up. Uh, (laughs) Whoever's taking on that new thing who's good at it is going to be happier because they get to express what they're good at. Now you get to go lean in even harder to the areas you're amazing. So great lessons there. And um, guys, uh, go over to YouTube right now. My boy, Jared created our first video. It's live. Uh, we have three of these videos. Not all of them are published. Uh, our goal is to do every episode with a video, uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. We need to, we need to scale into that. So right now our focus is on the audio, the podcast. Uh, but if you want to support restaurant unstoppable, the best way you can do it is by sharing this podcast right now. Stop. Think of two or three people who are passionate about the restaurant industry and let them know that there's a podcast that exists that captures all the knowledge of the most successful restaurateurs and shares it. And guys, I truly believe that if we share knowledge, we can bring back the middle class, that blue collar working class, and we can lean on each other and really lift our whole industry up and move it forward. But you need to share it. You need to you need to let other people know this resource exists. Uh, and we're going to be going to Providence on the 3rd 
week of July. That's the goal. We want to record at least six interviews. So two weeks. Um, who are some people in Providence you know? Maybe you're from that area. Who should I be making an example of? We'll come out. We'll show up at their restaurant. We'll try to capture it on a video. We'll record it. And uh, yeah, maybe if you're out in uh, Providence and you want to connect, let me know. I'd love meeting listeners. Uh, Maybe you have a couch we can crash on. Uh, That would be awesome too. But yeah, please let me know. Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com is the email. Connect me on Twitter and Instagram, Eric Cacciatore, and Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Okay, I'm talking too much now. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking around this long. We love you all. Uh, Special shout out to Jared for uh, the editing, uh, the extra work he's been doing. Uh, creating these videos, uh, really taking that quality uh, of Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. I'm so lucky to have Jared in. Uh, That's it. Peace out.